This morning, what I'm going to talk about is uh, something that I mentioned two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, we talked about how I believe that this year would be a year of action, not only for the church, but it could be a year of action for you, a year of growth for you. I said, I'm going to challenge you to do four things over this year, but I'm not going to unpack them this week. You've got to come back in two weeks to hear about them. And so some of you came back. The uh, only unfortunate thing was that was the week we had one service. You know, and uh, there was all this ice. And some of you said, I love Jesus, but I'm afraid of ice more, right? And so you stayed home, and then you walked outside and just saw a bunch of puddles. And uh, such is the life of one who lives in Missouri, however. So what I want to do is talk about those four things. Four things I mentioned that day is this. We're going to give and gather and spend and serve. I'm going to take the opportunity this morning to talk about giving and gathering. And next week, we'll talk about spending and serving. One of the things I mentioned is, is this is, can be a year of action, a year of growth for you, but the choice is fundamentally on you. I believe that God has already done everything that we need for our whole life. God has provided for it in the person of Jesus. And I said this year, the verse for me and the verse for, for our church is we're going we're gonna to choose to know nothing, like Paul said, except Christ and him crucified. And in order to do that, I think these four disciplines I'm going to share with you can help you take a step in two areas, towards knowing nothing except Christ and Him crucified and the vision of this church to reach the one, to help someone move from where they are to where God wants them to be. And so this morning, giving and gathering, I'm going to start with giving. I want you to begin to think about what it means to be generous. I want you to see these things I'm going to talk about as an attitude, as a perspective that you need to gain. And giving being a generous person. You know, we are never more like God than when we give. We serve a generous God. God at his core is a giver. I prefer the term Christ follower to Christian. I would rather identify as a Christ follower. Christian is just, was, you know, originally the word Christian was not coined by people who believed in Jesus. It was coined by the people who didn't believe. They started calling the group of people who believed Christ Christians. Christians were originally called followers of the way. That was what Christianity, I like Christ follower because it positions me as a follower and not a leader. I'm not leading God, I'm following him. And I would say this, if you're really a Christ follower, you'll be a giver. You'll be a generous, you'll be generous. You can't, you can't help but be generous. We serve such a generous God that he says in John chapter 3, verse 16, familiar to some, maybe not familiar to others, that for God so loved the world, who's the world? It's me and it's you. It's humanity, not just the physical structure of the world, but humanity. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that who would ever believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. God so loved that he gave. You look at creation. God created everything. God has given us everything. God is a giver. And if we're truly going to follow him, we can't help but be generous. You will be a generous person the more you know Jesus. It'll flow out of you, I guarantee you. But what I want to do is I want to challenge your perspective of giving. Because sometimes we talk about giving and tithing in church, and it's almost like a cuss word. You know what I mean? It's, it's a word packed with meaning. You hear tithing, and you just like tense up and start pinching a penny right in your seat. You know what I mean? Depending on, on how you view money. But I, I want you to understand that I think our attitude as it relates to generosity is more important and more significant than the amount that we give. Our attitude. Our attitude is greater than our amount. How can you say that? Jesus, 
In the Gospels, we find a story where Jesus is at a service and he's observing people coming down and giving their money and he's standing with the disciples and he sees these really religious people, you know what I mean? They're like always talking about how much they, they follow God and they do all these right things. They come down, they have money and they, they give their money and it's a big show. They want everybody to know that they give. And then here comes this woman, she's very poor. She gives a mite, that's what it's called, a mite. A mite is less uh, than a penny. Jesus is observing this and he watches this woman give. She gives an abundance out of her lack, where these other guys gave, a, gave lack out of their abundance. And he says this, this woman has given more than anybody here today. As you think about it, you know that monetarily she gave less. Her offering, offering monetarily was quite insignificant, but Jesus said she gave more. Why? Because it was the attitude with which she gave, not the amount. Does God look at the amount? I don't know. But I know that he looks at the heart more than anything else. And when I talk about generosity, I talk about giving. I talk about it from the perspective of a heart thing. And really, the perspective that we have to have when it comes to generosity, when it comes to giving, specifically of our finances, is we have to think of it in terms of stewardship, not ownership. What do you mean? See, I just believe, and we believe here, that we are stewards of everything we have, not owners. I don't see myself as an owner. This isn't my church. It's God's church. This isn't your church. Well, I give to this church. I know, but it's not your church. It's God's church. We steward. My child, he's not mine, right? I'm I'm stewarding this life that God has given me to raise. Ultimately, God created my son, and he gave him to me. I don't own anything. I'm a steward. See, we get this from Psalms 24, verse 1, that says this. It says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. One translation says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everybody in it, it's all his. God created everything. God owns everything. And he's given it to us to be a steward. And we have to live our lives from a stewardship focus and not an owner focus. Paul would take this idea one step further. In Corinthians, he would say this. He would say, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. One translation would say this. Your life is not your own. Paul's saying, look, the body that you have, the life that you live, he would later say, it, is, it was bought with a price. What was that price? Jesus Christ, his body, his blood. You are not your own. Everything we have is a gift. I want to challenge you to think of that. Everything you have is a gift from God that he's given you to steward and to enjoy. He wants us to enjoy it. I want you to think of this this rock right here. This rock can represent my possessions, my finances, and this is a gift from the Lord, right? And when I'm a steward, I live life like this, open-handed. Open-handed, it's not mine. I'm a steward of it. I'm actively seeing, God, how can I manage? How can I steward this resource in the way that you've called me to, the way that that you lead me to? The song we sang, I build my life on a firm foundation. The word that we got, the scripture, that those who hear the word of God, those who do it, are building their life upon a firm foundation. God has called me to be a steward, so i got to listen to that. i got to do that. I'm a steward, open-handed. God, it's not mine. It's yours. What would you have me to do with it? But when I live my life as an owner, I live my life closed-fisted, right? I'm holding it. I'm, I'm, I'm protecting it. I'm, 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 I'm thinking more selfishly about it. It is mine, and you can't have it. That's when people say, well, God just wants my money. The church just wants my money. Yeah, God doesn't need your money. God doesn't want your money, as if God is poor in heaven. 
and he gave you a job just so you could give him money. No, that's not how God functions. God doesn't want your money. God doesn't need your money. God wants you. And he knows the one thing that exercises more power over you is money, is stuff, is lust, the lust for things. I loved what, what, what the Lord was speaking through Charlene today, asking that question, what is your foundation built on? What is your security in your job, your 401k, your house, your family? Are those things bad? Not at all. But those things are fleeting. Those things are temporary. When those things crash and burn or whatever the case may be, what do you have left? Better have a foundation that's greater than those things. I don't think things are wrong. I just think God doesn't want things to have us. He wants us to live our lives open-handed, not close-fisted. See, Luke quotes Jesus in the book of Acts, and Jesus makes this really crazy extreme statement. He said it's more blessed to give than to receive. How many of you at your core are fundamentally opposed to that? Be honest. Come on. Come on. We don't wake up saying, I just think I'm going to be a giver today. I don't want anything. Don't give me money. Don't give me gifts. Don't give me a raise. Don't give me a better job. I want to give it all away. Like sound of music. The hills are alive. Right? With the sound of music. Oh. No. You don't live life like that. Someone wants to give me a raise? Better believe it. 3%? Why not 4 Give me a better house? Better believe it. Jesus says it's better to give, more blessed to give, than it is to receive. That's a pretty countercultural statement today, isn't it? Our culture is all about obtaining, moving forward, building an empire to ourselves. Is it wrong to grow? Is it wrong to succeed? No. Is it wrong to save money? No, not at all. Not saying that. But it's the attitude. It's the motivation behind it. It's more blessed to give than to receive. That's pretty extreme. But I want to encourage you to begin to think about that statement and say, even though it may be extreme, what if I could live my life that way? What if I could adopt the mantra or make it a moniker of my life that I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a giver? I'm going to give. I'm going to listen to God's word when God says to give. All throughout scripture, God says to give. There's this thing called tithing that God instituted. Some people say, well, tithing is just not for the church today because that was under the law. And I always like to remind people, Abraham gave a tithe 500 years before the law was given. Why did he do it? Because he wanted to. God didn't tell him to. He gave a tenth of everything he had. Why? Because his perspective was that God is a giver and he's given me so much, I can't help but give back to him. Well, I don't believe in tithing. I don't like it. It doesn't work. M- many people who've told me tithing doesn't work, they don't tithe, so I don't listen to them. <laughs> I can't be generous. It doesn't work. I, I tried it for three weeks. This isn't some get-rich scheme that you try, and then after three weeks, you know. And also, too, I think some people think that giving and tithing is like a cure-all for being stupid with money. If you were if you are dumb with money and you're not a good steward, tithing doesn't fix that. God doesn't think, well, yeah, they just do whatever they want, but they're tithers. I don't care. I'll fix it. Here's more money. Make it rain for them, you know. <laughs> Dropping dollar bills so they can pick it up. He doesn't. It doesn't work like that. Matter of fact, I think that when you start to be generous and you, and you, and you begin to tithe and you, and you begin to give, you recognize this principle of stewardship and it starts to allow and teach you to build other things into your life. You start to be a better steward of how you spend your money, a better steward of how you spend your time because you're doing one thing and that's putting God first. And when you put God first, that changes your life. Because putting God first is saying that God, you're the owner, I'm the steward. 
And when you, and when you are a steward, I'm telling you, God can just give you more stuff because he knows that you're going to steward it and you're going to help other people and it's going to flow through you. Because here's the, I want to talk about just the attitudes of giving, okay? I'm going to give you three attitudes with which you can give. And I'm going to challenge you this year to be a giver. You say, well, what if it doesn't work? Well, come back to the end of, at the end of the year and I'll give you your money back. But I mean, and that's not like some used car, car salesman scheme, but just I'm going to challenge you, be a giver. The, the only way, uh, place in scripture where God says, test me on this is this area of generosity in the book of Malachi. Test me on this and see. See what God does. I believe you can't go wrong. People say it doesn't work. I don't believe you because it works. I've been doing it for longer than three weeks. It works. All right? It works. I saw my, my daddy do it. I saw my grandpa do it. It works. God's faithful. First attitude of giving is, is I want you to be a cheerful giver. All right? To give cheerfully. Here's what Paul says. Some of you know this passage. He says, you must each decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Now, the word cheerful there is an interesting word. In the Greek, it's the Greek word hilarious, where we get our English word hilarious. God loves a hilarious giver. (laughs) Think about that. That doesn't make sense. How many of you are just, you think it's so funny every time you give? You're like, hallelujah, Lord, woo-hoo, you know? Praise Jesus. You're just laughing all the way, every, you know, all, whether you text to give or you give online or you give in, in service. You just think it's like the greatest thing and you just are so full of laughter that you're about to fall on the floor. That's really not the hilariousness of what we're saying, but there's such a joy in giving. God says there's such a joy in it. And I want you to be joyful about giving, not begrudgingly. Not like pension a penny, not like, I can't believe i got to give to God. I hate giving. This is so stupid, you know, all this kind of stuff. That's where I was for a long time because I grew up in an, in a, in a, an arena of church where they're like, if you don't tithe, then your, your transmission may fall out on the highway. <laughs> you know, your clothes are going to get eaten by moths and, you know what I mean, all this crazy stuff. So I was so afraid, like I was afraid not to tithe, but then I was so like mad because stuff... Stuff still happened. You know, people be like, well, the air conditioning went out. Are you a tither? Yeah, that's why. God allowed a, a, a hole to blow in your A-coil and then busted it up. If you'd have been a tither, wouldn't have happened. That air conditioning would have lasted for 45 years. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, do I believe there's protection on your things when you tithe? I do. Don't get me wrong. But I know a lot of people who love Jesus and tithe and stuff breaks in their house. You know, I tithe, but I haven't changed my oil in 30,000 miles and my engine blew up. Well, that's just because you're... Not wise. <laughs> Tithing doesn't make the oil cleaner in your car. You know? Be a cheerful giver. And some say, well, I'm not cheerful right now. Well, you will be if you do it. I've learned that choices lead and feelings follow. The more I gave, the more consistently I gave, the more disciplined my giving became, there was a joy and a cheerfulness that arose out of it. Uh, uh, A mentor in my life told me this a few years ago. He said, Josh, your discipline will soon become your delight. Your discipline will soon become your delight. But you will not have delight before you have the discipline. The only time I've had delight before I had the discipline when I was thinking about being disciplined and I thought all the possibilities. The moment I tried is the moment the the joy just went right out of it. Right? I actually got to do it? Yeah. And to do it consistently. See, there's a period in my life where 
I was not a cheerful giver. I was a begrudging giver. And I decided this, and I don't, I don't recommend this, but I told Lauren, I said, I am so sick and tired of being afraid if I don't give that our transmission is going to fall out, my clothes are going to be destroyed, the A-coil is going to blow up. I said, I'm not giving God another dime until I want to. And I didn't. Again, I'm not, I'm not advocating that to be your journey. And I didn't for a period of months, and uh, we, none of that stuff happened. You know, God actually, you know, was, was faithful. And we paid all our bills, and, and then the Lord started to work on me. So why don't you try to, try to give it to me? I, I proved to you that I'm not some angry taskmaster that is keeping a ledger in heaven of how much you've given. So I started to give. I started to take God up. And so like I said, I saw my dad tie. I saw my grandpa tie. I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. So we didn't have any money. I'm telling you, we didn't have anything, like enough to go to the grocery store, put gas in the car, and the grocery store was with a calculator. I don't know if anybody been there. You know what I mean? I got just enough. I got $47.47 to spend on groceries. You know, so you get the bare necessities. And that's how God taught me. Lauren, was already, she's already generous. I mean, she just, she's, she's got more faith than all of you combined in here. She's amazing. <laughs> and uh, I don't. I mean, I'm just be honest. It's growing. But started to tithe. Started to give. And God, that's how I, God taught me to give when I had nothing. I could take you back. And I would go back for what God taught me. It was difficult, but I learned how faithful God was. I give cheerfully now because I know what it's like to see God provide. And he didn't just send checks in the mail. I got overtime. I got opportunities to go make my money. God just provided. You cannot convince me that being generous does not work. You can tell me story after story. I'm just not going to believe you because I know that God is faithful. I know that he is. Give cheerfully. There's a joy that rises in it. Now, the perspective that Lauren and I have is, as we get paid, like on a Wednesday, the first thing I do, I text to give here. I just text it in. That's the first thing I do. I give my tithe, 10%. Boom. I, don't, I, don't, I budget it, but I don't, I, don't, I don't think about what my life would be like if I had that 10%. I don't, I don't go down that road because that's just not fruitful. You know what I mean? I just know, and I know I can't convince any of you that living off a 90 is better than living off a 100. I know the math. I, you know, I may have gotten a degree in Spanish, but I know the math there. Every day of the week and twice on Sunday, 100 is greater than 90. But with God, something happens, and he's faithful. And my encouragement to you is this year, just try it. Just make a decision. God, I'm going to be a giver. I don't know if I can do 10%. Just start. Your attitude is greater than your amount, and the amount will grow over time because you begin to trust God. He's faithful. He's good. He provides, like Scripture says, every single one of my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And then you can move on to the second attitude where I want you to give selflessly, not selfishly. You're not giving to get. You're not giving to get rich. You're not giving and making yourself the center of it. Selflessly is saying, God, you're the center of this. I'm giving and knowing that what I'm giving is helping somebody else. Maybe you could give with the one in mind here. As we're trying to reach the one. You could give with the one. I'm going to give, God. This is yours. Be a steward. I'm gonna, if I never got anything in return, God, I would give because you told me to. That's selfless. If you never prospered me anyway, I would still give. Why? Because I've already got the very best of heaven, and that's Jesus. And a 4% raise is not better than Jesus. A, a bigger house, not better than Jesus. Anything that you could throw at me right now, not better than Jesus. But how much more does God give? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things 
Don't you like that word? Things. That's the best translation they had. All these things. Basically, in context of that chapter, all these things. But seek first him. You're just a selfless giver. Here's what Paul says. He said that they did even more than what we had hoped for. For their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. Paul was telling them about this group of Christians saying, hey, look, they gave, but they did even more. And we didn't even tell them to. More than we had even hoped for. They gave themselves first to God, and they just kept doing more. See, when you, when you do things that are not just for you, but for other people, and most specifically for God, you will do more. You will do more. It's an amazing thing. If I could pull some people up on the stage, I would, and I would ask them, what was it like 25 years ago when you began to, to be generous? And they'd say, oh, we gave this amount. All the way back 25 years. What is it like now? We've given more than we ever thought we would. If you could have told me 25 years ago that I'd be giving what I'm giving now, I would have said, no way. In my own personal life, and this is not to, to build me up, I, Lauren and I are giving now more a month than, than my, a, a two-week paycheck that I used to make when I first graduated college. And you know what? It's amazing. It's a joy to be able to do that. It was hard at first. How in the world are we going to do this? I don't know. I'm just kind of the person I just try to do it and see God be faithful. Because then that leads to the third one, and then you just start giving expectantly. What do you mean expectantly? Hey, give expecting that God is faithful. Give expecting that what God says will happen will happen, that he will provide every single one of your needs according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus, that he will make it pressed down, shaken together, running over, right? That you know that when you give that other people are going to be helped, that you expect that God is true. Give expectantly. Nothing for it. That's what I did. I used to, you know, the memo portions in the check. I can't tell you the last time I wrote a check. But when I started tithing, I, w- I felt like the Lord wanted me to write it out. So I had to see it. So I had to feel it. Now I just do it online. But I would write that check out. And in the memo portion of the check, I would write every passage of scripture that related to generosity that I knew. I'd write, I can't remember all of them, but just whatever. The, the, the three letter abbreviation for the, the book and the chapter and verse marking. I wrote it in the memo. The, 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 the finance ladies probably got upset. Why is he filling the memo portion with all this stuff? Why? It was just me saying, I'm giving expectantly. I'm giving in faith. I know I got five bucks to last me a week and a half, right? But God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it to you. Why? Because if you never give me anything else, you've given me the very best of heaven in Jesus. And I'm trying to build my life on a firm foundation. And it works. And it works. I want you to be a giver. And not just a giver to giving hope this year. That's a one-time thing, right? Our, 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 des- our desire this year, the year of giving hope, we want to give away $100,000 above our other missions giving to organizations here and around the world that help women and children. And I just think that's a, it's a God-sized goal, and that's going to be awesome. And I I'm, and I'm encourage you to pray about what you can give. That's a one-time thing. I want you to be generous consistently. I want you to be generous as a discipline. So here's my encouragement to you. Pray about it. Talk to your, your family about it, your spouse, whatever. What can we do? Where can we start? And start there. Pray about it. God, what can we do? And you could come back, well, Josh, God told us he didn't want us to give. And I'm going to say, liar. Because <laughs> he didn't say that. Pray about it. What can we do? And here's the thing. I don't know who gives and who doesn't. I don't look at that. I choose not to look at that. I don't need to know. I don't think it's, it's my, my business whether or not you give. There are some things that we do at the church, some positions of leadership that we'd like for people to give. So they, I say, do they give? Yay or nay? Bueno. Let's go. But I don't know the amount. I'm not going to look at the amount. So if you say, this is all hogwash and God told me not to give, and you don't tell me that, 
I'm not going to go check. It's not, my, it's not my business. That's between you and God. All right? I don't get those reports. I don't want those reports. I don't want to talk to people differently because they may give more or whatever, any of that stuff. So I'm not going to look. And you say, well, well Josh, it, it works really uh, good in your favor to talk about giving because the church needs money. Does the church need money? Yeah, I mean, we had to turn the lights on this morning. But I, want, you know, I don't want something from you. I want something for you. I said that last week. We don't want something from you. We want something for you. And you're not giving to me. You're not giving to Faith Community Church. You're giving to him. We just happen to be facilitating it and stewarding it because that's what he's called us to do. So the first discipline for the year I want you to to challenge yourself with is be a giver. Okay? Be generous. Give. Secondly, and turn us on a dime, I talk about gathering. What does gather mean? Gather is about relationships. It's about community. It's about what we call small groups, getting in a relationship with other people. We were never created to be lone rangers, right? We were all created to be in a community. Jesus modeled that. Jesus had 12 disciples. Within those 12 disciples, he had three that he was really close to, Peter, James, and John. God is so about community that he exists in eternal community. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The triune God is a community. We were never meant to live life alone. We want you to be involved in a small group here in community, knowing other people because this. The church grows in circles, not in rows. The church grows in circles, not in rows. What do you mean? You're all sitting in rows right now. And unless you just talk to each other the whole message and texting each other, you're not forming relationships, right? You're not getting to know one another in the context of this service. And that's okay because that's not what this is for. This is a part of spiritual growth. And you have to subject yourself to listen to me every week for like 40 minutes. And as awesome as that may be, it's not enough. It's not enough. You need to meet other people. You need relationships. You need friendships, right? You see, the Bible says in, in, in James chapter 5, verse 16, James was the brother of Jesus. He said this, confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. Now, we know that we confess our sins to God and we have forgiveness and there's some healing that comes with that. But listen, confess your sins one to another. This is a horizontal thing. And you may be healed. That means that as Christ followers, we should live in such a type of community where we can sit down with one another and tell each other what we are doing that's wrong. Be vulnerable. Be open and be honest, and then that we who are hearing that cannot judge and be stuck-up pharisaical Christians and can say, I understand. I'm praying for you. I'm struggling with the same thing. I think Christ followers should be some of the most vulnerable, open, and honest people on the planet, but most of the time we're not because we're too busy trying to impress each other. Oh, I don't do that. I don't listen to that music. I don't watch that TV show. My life is on a firmer foundation than them. You know, whatever the case may be, when we realize that we're all broken, we're all hurting, we all have issues that are just different colors, you know what I mean? We need to come together. We need to be in community with one another. Small groups provide the community. I could tell you countless stories. The amazing thing that's going on now, Celebrate Recovery, that started last year. Started with just like, what, four or five people, Josiah? And now, how many do you have every week now coming on average? 20, 25 people coming together every Wednesday night around every just kind of issue. Yeah. And it's only going to get bigger as you move to Friday night. It's only going to get bigger. People that are coming, huh? Thursday is not Friday. Sorry. 
Don't come to me for the specifics. It's only going to get bigger as, as more people come together and realize the freedom and the healing that takes place when you can sit down from somebody and say, this is what I'm struggling with. This is what I'm going through. I need help. Because on my own, I'm ready to quit. I'm ready to give up. See, because small groups provide three things real quick. Number one, they, apply, they provide a place to connect. We need connection. We live in a pseudo-connected world. And I just want to tell you this. Social media, it's not connection. I don't care that you got 2,000 friends on Facebook. They are not your friends. I don't care that you IM each other, Facebook message each other every day. I don't care that you liked and smiley-faced and hearted somebody's post. It's not connection. Yes, they used the bathroom three times yesterday and cleaned their house and fixed the most amazing meal they bought from some restaurant that they took out of the package to show you how amazing they are. You don't know anything about them. Is social media bad? No, it's just, it's, it only is good for just saying, how are you doing, man? Haven't seen you in a while. Thumbs up. But if you want connection, it doesn't provide that for you. Studies are showing that in our culture right now, we are losing the ability to have empathy. What is empathy? For me to sit down with you and, and imagine what it would be like to be in your shoes. To say, I can't believe that you're going through that. I'm so sorry. Or, hey, I've been through that. I know what you're feeling. That's what Celebrate Recovery, part of it is. I know what you're going through. I love you. Let me pray for you. We're losing that. Why? Because we think that we have connection in our pocket 24-7, and it's a lie. I don't believe social media is evil. I'm not one of those guys. I just think it can never be a surrogate or a replacement for connection, human connection. Right? Here's what Paul says. Paul says that when I am with those who are weak, I share their weaknesses, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find some common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save someone. When you sit down with one another, what you realize is we are all in weakness in some level. At some point, we're weak, we're broken, we're hurting, and we need human connection. Well, I pray. Well, good. But you need people. All right? Jesus prayed, and he hung out with people. Well, I don't like people. You still need them. I mean, there's really no excuse. Even people who don't like people need people. It's just harder for you to be around people. But you have to take that step to be connected. Well, it's awkward getting to know people. It's awkward starting conversations. I don't like it. And here's the best spiritual answer I can give you. So what? Here's the second one. I don't care. Because you need it. How many of you have your whole life said, if it's awkward and hard, I don't do it? Yeah, how's that worked out for you? Everything in life is hard and awkward to some degree. How many of you could say the hard and awkward and most difficult things have proved to be the most beneficial and life-giving things you've ever done? Yeah. You lean into it, you know? So go meet someone. Make the first step. Well, I don't know if they want to talk to me. They're probably thinking they, they, don't, you don't, know, they don't know if you want to talk to them. Step across the aisle and say, hello, my name is, how are you? Well, can I, can I friend request him first on Facebook? <laughs> no. Talk to people. Connect with them. I think one of the greatest things we could ever experience in life is just someone putting their hand on our shoulder and saying, how are you? Are you okay? And they really mean it. We, we're longing for that. We are, we are the most connected generation in, the, in, in history because of technology, yet 
we are struggling with relationships more than almost any other generation because we don't know how to talk to one another. That's what small groups provide. That's why we want you to get involved in one. That's why we think that this is not enough. This is not the quintessential moment of the Christian life to come to church and hear a message and some worship. This is just a part of it. Connect with each other. Because secondly, small groups are a place to protect. And we need safe places to talk about our issues without fear of judgment, without fear of being condemned, to say, look, I'm doubting, I'm struggling, I don't know what's going on. Maybe you're a parent, you're a mother, and, and you're like, and my kids are driving me nuts, and I want to exchange them, you know what I mean? I want to I I press the pause button, I need a break, my husband's driving me nuts, my wife's driving me nuts, and you can get around other people, and they'll say, I, I, I know, I feel the same thing. Or two years ago, I went through something, and let me just help you, and you're like, I'm not alone. How great of a gift is that when you hear that you're not alone, that you're not the only one struggling with something? What the enemy likes to do is he likes to isolate, right? He likes to separate. On Netflix, I was watching Planet Earth 2. I liked the first round of Planet Earth, and there were all these reindeer or caribou. Is there a difference between reindeer and caribou? I don't know. Anyway, they were all eating on this big, huge open space, thousands and thousands of, of reindeer. And what I noticed is, is that as a herd, they were gathering around the more vulnerable and weaker members of the, of the herd, trying to protect them, specifically the children and the little ones and all of that. But there, and there were these wolves that were stalking them, right, just coming around. What the wolf would do would wait patiently and intently on finding one of the weaker members that would be separated from the group. And the moment that weaker member was separated and isolated, boom, they would go in for the attack to kill. And that little reindeer just took off running as fast as it could for its life and it, it was it survived that was the tension breaking moment it survived i was so happy <laughs> it's a cute little thing ran its heart out and it survived but there was just kind of a metaphor there for me that that's what life is like right is that when we get isolated when we get separated from community from people that we love that's when the enemy attacks that's when we make really 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 bad decisions Right, And I think some of the dumbest decisions we make are when we're isolated and vulnerable and weak and alone. No one likes me. No one understands. I'm the only one. I could never, never tell anyone. Right, And there are some people that, that want to be involved in church and want to love God, but sometimes Christians are so not welcoming and not providing community that people go find community and welcome in, in other groups that don't believe what we believe. Why? Because they're so longing for connection and they can't find it even in church we turn this whole thing into something it never should. We are a community of believers, so much so that God calls us the body of Christ. We're the body of Christ, all connected. Place to protect. So I want you to get involved in a small group. The third thing is this, it's a place to grow. Proverbs 27, 17 says this, right? As iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. How many of you want to grow? Raise your hand. Yeah, you all want growth. But guess what? It's not just going to happen. You're not just going to wake up one day and be like, whoa, I am in so good a shape. Right? Like, I don't know what happened, and I'm so mature. What would you do? I don't know. I just grew. No, you don't, you don't unintentionally get better. Right? You prioritize it. Growth is a choice. It's a necessity, and it's a choice. And you have to prioritize it. I would say this. Relationships are essential to growth. You need people in your life to say, hey, that's dumb. Don't do it. Hey, have you considered this? I was presented with an opportunity 
the other day, and uh, I talked to some people, and they were like really encouraging. Then I talked to a guy, a guy who really knows me. He's a mentor in my life. I said, hey, what do you think about this? He goes, hey, Josh, I think you've got a lot of wisdom, but I don't think you're ready. I don't think you're seasoned enough for that opportunity, and I would not counsel you to do that. And you say, well, who wants to hear that stuff? Oh, I loved it because I thought somebody that was saying, I care about you. Other people were like, we can see the benefit you would bring. This guy says, I care about you. I don't care about any benefit they can receive. I care about you. We need people in our lives to tell us the truth. Right? Definitely. You need to prioritize that. You need to prioritize relationships. You need relationships. You need to prioritize. In life, we've got to prioritize a lot of things. If you've been married longer than five minutes, you realize you need to prioritize your relationship. Right? You need to prioritize romance. You get kids, and they just throw buckets of cold water on your romance, don't they, all the time? Like... It's not just this fire that's burning all the time. It's like, what happened? Life. We're not 18 anymore. You know? You got to prioritize it. The same way you got to prioritize friendship, relationship. Some of you out here, you, you, you're amazing parents. Right? You're, doing, you're, you're exposing your kids to every opportunity, and it's killing you. It's killing your marriage and you don't have any adults that you can hang out with, you don't even know the last time you had an adult conversation because you've been talking to teenagers and toddlers for so long. And I just want to get you off the hook. It is not your responsibility to run around all God's green earth dragging your kid to every sporting event and every opportunity they could have. Stop. You have a life. One day those kids are going to grow up, those kids are going to grow up and leave your house and they're going to be looking at your spouse saying, what do we do now? Prioritize it. Yeah, expose your kids to some great opportunities, but let them be kids. Realize there's a God in heaven who's got a plan for their life, and if you spend more time directing them to the things of God than sports and academics and all those things, they're probably going to be okay. And I'm just here to say, probably, most likely, they're not going to be the next Michael Jordan, Albert Pujols, or Tiger Woods, and they're probably not going to win a Rhodes Scholarship and study at some amazing university. So let them be a kid. And if God sees fit to give them that opportunity and you've taught them a good work ethic, he'll take care of it. But prioritize growth and health because you're modeling that for your children. And busyness, I'm going to end with this. Busyness is not a badge of honor. It's a disease. But have you ever noticed how we wear it as a badge of honor? How's it going? Busy. What are you doing? Oh, just busy all the time. What are you busy with? Busy stuff. Man, I'm busy too. We're busy together. What'd you do with your life? I was busy. We need to stop being busy. We have more of an opportunity now to be busy with everything. There are more choices for us than ever before, and they continue to grow. There's always something vying for our attention. I'm only 32, but I would imagine that 30 years ago, it was a little easier to not be as busy 30 years ago as it is today. It's getting, we have more and more and more at our fingertips. So instead of trying to be busy, why don't you just try to be focused on the right things. Be busy about the right stuff. How's that? Be busy about the things that are going to help you grow and help your family grow. Prioritize relationships. Say, I'm going to be a gatherer. I'm going to make time for my children. I'm going to make time for my spouse. I'm going to make time for my friends. If you aren't married, don't have me that. I'm just going to make time to get to know people and see what God does. God works through people. Remember, confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. It's hard, I know. It's awkward, I know. But it'll produce such a great blessing in your life. 
because you'll begin to love people and you'll, see, you'll realize that the most precious possession that God has are people. If you're a Christ follower and you don't love people, there is something inherently wrong with your relationship with the Lord. They will know you by that, how much you love one another. Love one another. Get in a relationship. So how do these small groups work? Well, right now you can go online and you can see every small group that we have available. You can sign up. We're going to have a list out next week. They start in February. Isn't that right, Lauren? February. They start in February. And uh, we, we don't make you sign up for a group for, for 52 weeks or anything like that. Okay? We just do 13 weeks. That's a good enough time to see if you like those people or not. Okay? 13 weeks. And if you're on week six and you don't like them, well, then you know in, in seven weeks you can hop out and go to another group of people that maybe you'll like. Okay? But... And just sign up and just try it. Just try it. Get to know people. And if you want to continue in that group, you guys can continue meeting. But if you're going to do something, commit to it. Don't sign up because you like feel all pressured and everything today. Don't pray about it. Consider it. But if you sign up, commit it. Commit to it. Finish it out. One thing my parents always made me do, if I started something, I had to finish it. If you start this football season, you're going to finish it. I don't care if in week two you don't like it and you're, you're all crying because you're getting hit hard. You're going to play the whole season because I paid 110 bucks son. You're going to finish it. Finish stuff. Sometimes we don't, we don't recognize or realize the benefit of something until after we're done. It's hard. I know. I'm busy. I know. What other excuse you got? Prioritize these things. Prioritize being generous. Prioritize getting in a small group. And just make 2018 a year where you can be a giver and a gatherer. All right? Would you stand with me this morning? I want to pray over you before we leave. And again, if you want to grab a rock and drop it in here, if you want to be a part of it, if you weren't here, I would encourage you to do that. You can grab one and bring it here to the front. Also, if you wanted to take a rock as a memento for you, uh, just as a memory, you can do that too. We've got a bunch of these rocks, and we were blessed to get them all free. And so uh, they got to go somewhere, so take a rock. But uh, let me pray for you this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you for every person that's here. We thank you, Lord, that you're so generous. And you're so focused on community that you want us to to live a life of generosity financially, but also relationally. Help us, Lord, to take those steps of faith. And I pray that you would bless every single one of us in here today. God, bless us as we give to you. Bless us in our relationships. Help 2018 to be the greatest year of generosity and relationships that we've ever had. Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom this week with the situations that we're facing with our children, Father, and, and at work and just difficult situations we're facing. Give us the peace that passes and transcends all understanding and guards our heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Bring us back safe next week. And Lord, we just pray that if you see fit, you can keep this bitter, cold, nonsense weather away and keep it like this. We pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Amen.